Welcome to your 12th Beer Supervision, the podcast where we learn about the joys of working in mental health over a cold brew. My name is Aaron Rajamani, and I'm here with Jesse Richardson. Incredible. It is great to see you. How are you, Jesse? Uh, I'm, I'm good. Thank you, Aaron. It's, uh, this okay. doesn't usually happen, does it? You're not, you don't usually do this with me, so that's, yeah, no, that's yeah, why it's, it must it's, be so it's, incredible. It's quite the treat yeah. to have you here with me for the podcast. Wow. You know, it's good, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good time. Yeah, you look, look um, it's... Um, I feel privileged to have you around, Jesse. It's nice to ha- do this podcast with you. Yes. So I'm just just containing my excitement for a little while, you know. And it's not even you're not even the only person on this podcast. This is just overwhelming how exciting this is. But, yeah, you know. I hope you share the same excitement for the guests that we have today. Oh no, uh, I'm sure I will. I'm sure. I will. <laughs> but thank you, thank you for fan fanboying me. Uh, for yes. the first thirty seconds of this podcast, Mr. Yeah, Mr. Um, nearly clinical psychologist. I that's, don't know. I don't know any other nearly clinical psychologist. So that's that's pretty good. That's so. Uh, there's so few of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. <laughs> so what are we doing, Jesse? Um. So this week we are going to, um, as always, drink beer. Amazing. Yeah. Good. Um, good. Good. Not going to miss that. Uh. But we're also having a bit of a chat today with uh with our guest who is uh, here with us, uh, George Van Dorn. Um. I had to really mentally, uh, try and pronounce your name right there, George, because uh one of one of my, uh our, our friends, our mutual friend who who got us in touch with you, George, said um. Was making a joke about your last name being kind of like Victor Von Doom, yep. and, <laughs> and so I was very, very uh, conscious to not say Van Doom. Um, it's Van Dorn. <laughs> say hello, John. Say hello, to hello. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Welcome. That's actually my students used to give me a nickname, Doctor Doom. So Doctor Doom. Uh, yes, yeah. I, I reckon if uh, if I had you as a as a uh, teacher, I would. Um, I would definitely get around that, that nickname. <laughs> so what are we? What, so why have we got um, Vandorn himself on the podcast? <laughs> so we brought we brought Doctor Doom on this week to have a bit of a chat about um, academia this week, uh, which uh, yeah might come across to some of our listeners as maybe not being the sort of usual thing that we would chat about. But mm, yeah. uh, we thought that this would be a really useful uh, thing to discuss because a lot of the work that we do clinically is guided by research. Yeah. And so we thought that we could have a bit of a chat today with George about um, research and how that guides uh, our clinical practice uh, going forward. So, yeah, which is cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about it because it's something that I'm also kind of just kind of getting into because I'm starting to study a master's and I'm like mm-hmm. making a decision. Should I like just do like a like an internship type thing, get a lot of practical skill and get more into the work? Or should I maybe like consider doing a thesis and mm. like maybe go down the academic line and yeah. maybe like one day be um, have the exciting title of doctor, which is very, <laughs> <laughs> very impressive. Yes. <laughs> and I, I think it's something that uh, a lot of people who get into clinical practice or, or into the, this area, uh, you know, do have a bit of a think about. Mm. Uh, getting getting into research down the line. I know that's definitely something that I, I intend on doing at, at some stage. I don't know when, but... <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's like a thing that like um, a lot of people, what I just speak to generally in the workplace, where like the conversation inevitably comes to, oh, you're going to considering studying again. It's like, oh yeah, maybe I'll study again. Maybe mm. I'll do 
you know, some kind of research or like, it's kind of like the, a sense of this is where maybe I'll head once I finish doing my like practical work. Mm. It's like maybe I'll, then I'll go study and contribute to the body of knowledge in some way after I've done the grunt work yeah. kind of feel to it to some extent. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's just my initial impressions from mm. starting in the field anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So George, mm. why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, well, to start, I'm a senior lecturer at Federation University. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also the fourth year program coordinator. So we have two programs, fourth year programs at Fed. So one is our grad dip in psych, yep. uh, and the other one is an you know bachelor of psych science honors. So both are accredited, APAC accredited fourth year programs. Um, students come through undergrad and as long as they get uh, a certain GPA in second and third year level psych courses they come into our fourth year programs that involves things like um, building counselling skills mm-hmm. <coughs> um, theory and practice ethics um, but also research methods and a thesis mm. so yeah. you guys cram a lot into that that one uh, year I, I always tell my students yeah. that fourth year is the busiest year yeah. mm. um, relative to other years yeah. it's just yeah I was, I was actually chatting to someone the other day who, who got into uh, their, their honors year in psychology and, and he was asking me about what uh, what that would be like and I, I did kind of say to him it's like you're you are very close to the summit this year is mm-hmm. is the summit and then like <laughs> once once you're done there it, it is essentially uh downhill I mean there are still moguls in that downhill yeah. but it is it is a downhill from from there um yeah cool. and how did you get into doing that what was your? What is it? A straight path, straight there? Or did you like going to different places? No, I was like, my, my path has not been straight. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually, when I was younger, and I suspect a lot of people go through this, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. So I left school after year eleven, um, worked for a couple of years, went back and did year twelve with the intention of being a teacher saw kind of the way year 12 worked and the interactions with you know, students and teachers and thought no I couldn't do that <laughs> <laughs> so, so took a break and worked again um and I accidentally like I've always kind of read books and you know being relatively poor when you're younger um I just stumbled across a psych textbook in a, you know, a 50 cent book bin sort of a thing and bought it wow. and read it and thought, that's for me. Um, <laughs> that <is> incredible. <laughs> that is the most awesome way to get into psychology. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a fairy tale. <laughs> and so, yeah, then I enrolled in university. Um, yeah, never left. I was going to go the clinical path, but in second and third year, I was doing uh, counseling for Lifeline. And obviously you hear some pretty pretty hard stuff um, there and again realise that that's probably not the path for me. Um, and yeah, the worst kind of I hear now is that students don't like the marks they get and <laughs> I, I can live with that. <laughs> cool. Very excited to talk more about that. Yes. Ah, but we do have something of important formality to do before yes. we begin. Yes. Now, now, George, uh, I loved hearing all of that. That was great. Really important. Really looking forward to your contributions on the podcast. But as always, there's more important things to discuss at this point, and that's uh, what beer we're going to be drinking today. So yes. I went, I went down to the local dance today, Aaron, mm. and it took me 
This is our 12th episode, isn't it? 12 it is. visits to Dan before this podcast, before I actually signed up for a membership card. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was thinking afterwards, I'm like, Jesse, you are an absolute goose. You should have <laughs> done this on the first time, but I didn't. Um, uh, but Aaron was saying to me before the podcast, he's like, Jesse, I'm, I'll, I'll do my best Aaron voice here. Hey. Don't mm. you get me one of them fruity beers. <laughs> <laughs> That is a misrepresentation. <laughs> but Aaron was a little bit sick of having fruity fruity drinks. Uh, and he wanted something to match his more rough uh, personality and, and overall demeanor. I'm a, I'm a man's man. Uh, Don't give me tropical beers, yeah. Jesse. Wow. So <laughs> I, I went and picked us up a Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale. Uh, and I understand... That Brick Lane Brewing mm. Co. is in Dandenong. Is um, it really? I believe so. Can't I had to not, I had no to look it up because it's beers. it's actually not on the can. Uh, I'm it's, pretty it's sure. It's right here. Where? Forty one Imagine Way Dandenong South. I saw it immediately. What are you talking about? <laughs> 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 I, I, got, I got nothing. Um, <laughs> I obviously did not read. They don't, they don't the train you. Properly. They don't train you to read in psychology. No, no. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta do that one yourself. Yeah, it's extra, extra further reading, extra, extra work. So yeah. um, that's what we'll be drinking today. I, um, I thought that's probably uh, a bit more manly for Aaron. Um, <laughs> And I, I hope that he, he enjoys it. Yeah. If not, I, I think I might just really give up on getting beers before the podcast and yeah, leave it to you, Aaron. I'm, I'm enjoying yeah. the slogan so far. Yeah. Get together, one love. Yes. Yeah. Lovely. Yeah. So wholesome. It is. So, <laughs> let's, uh, how about we crack these bad boys yeah, and get it. right into it? <laughs> that is the sound I love. Mmm. Mm. Ah, mm, that's good. Yeah. Good first impression. Yeah, I don't mind that. But, mm. um, I think uh, it'll it'll take the course of this podcast and, and drinking this one singular beer uh. to um, for me to make up my mind on on this oh, one. It's, yes. it's very considered and scientific of you. As is the theme of our podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. We should do some research on the beer before we review it. Mm, oh, maybe. Um, oh, what, what, is, what, is, what are your feelings about beer in general? Are you an avid beer drinker or just like a one, once in a while? Or uh, Probably once in a while. I was more into it. Um, a while ago, I actually got into kind of home brewing and that sort All of right. stuff. Yeah. Um, but I've done a bit of work with uh, a brewer in Orbos called Sailor's Grave. Oh, we, 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 we've had Sailor's we've Grave. We've had Sailor's yeah. Grave on the podcast. Yeah. You've done a bit of work with them. Yeah, oh, we, right. we looked in, and we're currently still doing it, um, some projects on looking at the kind of kind of what we call product extrinsic factors. So mm. not their, their, like the color of the can, the yeah. logo and all that sort of stuff and yeah. how, how that influences people's perceptions of the taste of beer. Wow, that is so, so interesting. Uh, yeah. I would never have expected that's a thing that happens. So yeah. is that like yeah. your, uh, an area you're like researching at the mm. moment? Yeah, so I'm, I'm historically a perceptionist and kind of have yeah. moved more into social and personality stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I started out in touch, and that moved into flavor and taste yeah. and that sort of stuff. Wow, because I think um, it was it was the last episode that we recorded. We had some really beautiful looking cans, yeah. Um, and and that that I think that in, increased the the overall flavor and rating that I gave. I gave yeah, that. No, I definitely yeah. Say so. well, yeah. 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 
It's it's interesting. Um, there, there's a lot of work going on, and all the kind of craft brewers are particularly responsible for it to sort of claim their stake in in the beer market. So mm. they do a lot of work in um, cans and product development and that sort of stuff. Well, there you go. Well, we know. Yeah. Learning so much yeah. <laughs> <laughs> already. <laughs> okay. Well, how about we get into uh, the main discussion for. For today's episode sweet um and how about we kick off george with um i guess maybe outline for our listeners out there what what a career in academia involves uh. <laughs> <laughs> this is a nice narrow well when i guess when people think about it they think that you kind of turn up and give some lectures and do a bit of research and that's about it initially. Um, and that kind of is true. Um, so, yeah, you you generally get a job um, depending on the level, um, but you'll, you'll be a lecturer. Um, you'll probably teach three or four classes or courses or units or whatever universities, uh, whatever jargon they use. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you'll do some marking uh, and you'll do a bit of research and that's that's probably the lowest level. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think people think that you probably get six months of hol- holidays a year. <laughs> that's not, not true. true. No. Oh, well, appeal Cancel the episode, we're done now. I do not want to hear anymore. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I think they think, and, and I guess it's true of school teachers as well that you know they think that when students aren't there you're not there but um what you're actually doing is preparing and updating for next year um but uh, yeah i think as you go along it's different so and like because i'm program coordinator for fourth year now a lot of my time is taken up in admin and committee meetings and uh and yeah that sort of stuff so Research is part of it. Teaching still part of it. Um, but there's also things like supervision. Um, so I supervise fourth-year projects. Uh, I supervise master's research projects. And I supervise um, students who are looking to do a PhD. Um, right, yeah. Well, I guess that sounds like a lot. <laughs> yeah, um, but then you, you also kind of... There's other things that are associated with the universities as well. So you've got to get grants. Um, yeah. So grant money, trying to get grant money so you can do the research that you're interested in. And they're quite difficult to get at times. And you can spend a lot of time developing grant applications and not get any kind of reward for it. So, yeah, right. um, But there's other parts as well. So sometimes students um, complain and put in uh, what we call an appeal um, against something so you'll sit on an appeals committee and hear the students complaint and hear the the lecturer's position um, so there's a lot of kind of facets that people don't think about um, in relation to academia and a lot of them are very unsexy um, they're <laughs> yeah. incredibly boring sort oh, of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right okay. what what is like like i mean we're going into in depth uh, i'm sure but like in terms of like this like like pinnacle of like what is the most like exciting cool kind of part of academia that's like this is fancy like yeah. I, I like like t- talking people talking to people about the fact that i do this kind yeah. of thing tell us tell us the sexy yeah, yeah. Oh, the sexy yeah. to me yeah. um and i think i think it's different for different people but for me i, I like um doing research and publishing papers so yeah. when i get mm. another paper published that's 
that's my reward sort of thing. Yeah. That's what I like. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. What are, what are, what are other people like that you know? What are other people's like best thing about doing it? Uh, so some people really like it when they're sh- like they've supervised a PhD student and mm-hmm. they've finished. Like they're mm. they're now a doctor. Um, right. So that's yeah. that's kind of rewarding to them. Other people really like teaching. So I really like mm. teaching. I'm less of a fan of marking, but yeah, <laughs> <you> sure. <know. laughs> it, marking's kind of one of those things that is you you know if you get. 50 papers that are all written on the same topic, you know, it, it mm. becomes like reading the, mm. the dictionary kind mm. of a thing. It's, oh, yeah. it's the same thing over and over and over again. Um, but, yes, I, I really like getting up and talking in front of students. Used mm. to hate it. Um, right. Yeah, I, I, was, I would not count myself as a natural public speaker. Yeah. So the first lecture I ever gave, I had a piece of paper written written yeah and everything i was going to say was written on it (laughs) and i was literally shaking (laughs) so much i couldn't read the piece of paper i was so nervous wow um but it's a practice thing and that's you know it's kind of what i tell my daughter is that everything in life is practice you'll get better if you just practice yeah Um, that is interesting because like part of being an academic is like communicating ideas not just getting the ideas (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah 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 and there are some academics that are very very good at it um but there are some who are less good at it. And what I think academics forget a lot of the time is they can be quite deep into a field. They can be 10 years into you know studying this one niche area that nobody else in the world studies, mm. trying to communicate that to somebody who's not touched base with that field at all yeah. um, can require some skill and communication. Mm. Um, so they've got to kind of not use the jargon. Yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah, it's like the responsibility. Like I was like thinking about like like what the what the role is of an academic. Like it's like yeah, it's like it's not just that oh you get the opportunity to like learn a whole bunch of stuff about the thing you're interested in, but there's kind of like a weight of like responsibility to communicate that to other people who can use that information, mm. not just yep. hold it. I guess yeah. Yeah 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Cool. No, that was that was good. I, I liked the part where you were talking about uh, if you just like practice something, you'll get better at it. Yep. Um, finally, that was true of uh, my contributions to this podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> wow! What yeah. a self-burn. Yeah. <laughs> only. I want to. I, I wanted to. I was. I was <laughs> contemplating saying like just the podcast in general, but then I thought, oh, I don't want to. I don't want to crap on Aaron too much. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, You're yeah. only twelve episodes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe once we get to a hundred. That's right. Yeah. That's, that's if, when if we're really, still terrible yeah. at a hundred, then we'll yeah. need to think about whether yeah. this is for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> strap strap in for the ride, guys. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. No, but that was um that was really useful, I think. Um Yeah, getting getting a bit of a sense of how there's there's a bit more to academia than what what you kind of see on the on that surface level and how some parts of it are, uh, can can maybe be a bit sexy and some parts are just not yeah. not at all appealing is is useful to know. Um, I also like how I guess you, depending on the person doing it can depend on um, yeah what what areas they like and what areas that they're good at. Yeah. I, I definitely know that. I guess uh, when I think about getting into that down the line, I think I I would be much more uh, wanting to go into the the teaching side of things than than necessarily the research, yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess that. Yeah, yeah like what? Like because obviously you're both you both studied psychology and you've doing therapy. You're doing academia. Like, 
but it's still the same profession, but you're doing quite different things. Like, what mm. is it like? Like, you're both interested in psychology, but you're both interested in a different. Like, what is the difference? Like, what is it about academia that's different from therapy that's appealing, or vice versa? Like, I'm trying to get at that. Does that question make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, to me, it's it's I I find the research part of psychology, and I think that's part of the appeal of psychology is it mm. is so disparate, so mm. broad. Mm. Um, so you've got social psych, you've got clinical psych, forensic psych, sports psych. You know, and and the list can go on and on and on. Mm. Um, but yes, for me, it was about the research that um, made me kind of stick in academia and um, these other things that I like, um, like teaching and supervision and research projects, um, come with that. But it's not sort of that's not the reason I got into it. I guess it's mm-hmm. like there's very few kind of places where you can just kind of focus on research. Um, in psych um, yeah. but this is one of them yeah right and, and what what like, to get like drilled down more like what is appealing about like for someone who's like getting in like maybe considering doing research like what is it about research is appealing because I know like from the outside or without actually experience doing research stuff you can like like what 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 is it that's appealing about it? it's just like is it talking to people or is it like mm crunching the numbers like what like what like in terms of the nuts and bolts of research what is it that's exciting about it uh it's a bit of both of those things yeah um, right. but it's also that uh and, and I, I this may sound like an overstatement hmm. um because very little research is you know you know the einstein kind of e equals mc squared hmm. shatter the world kind yeah, of change sure. everything hmm. but it's discovering something new that hasn't yeah. nobody's done before um, yeah, right. so you know um you you it may be a contribution to somebody else's work or build on a field but you've discovered this one little thing that nobody else has ever kind of written a paper about before so it's that but there's also you know the aspect that you get to learn about that mm. so I, i'm really interested in and if you look at my publication record, it's all over the place. So it's got <laughs> stuff on masculinity. It's got stuff on the perception of beer. Um, I, I struggle yeah. to focus on one mm. thing. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, what I find interesting is, you know, being able to and in this role have the capacity to learn about all the things that I find interesting. So yeah, yeah wow, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. I think that's. Um, yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a really good point there. It's like when you, you're interested in those sorts of things, it's like it, the research is almost like uh, um, secondary to the fact that you're learning and you're having a really good time. Just yep. kind of like learning about that and, and um, doing doing the research. Um, I've, I've done uh, quite a small amount of, of research um, and I've found that the process of just going through that learning about something that uh that you're interested in and then contributing to that field but also um the the process of like starting with with your idea watching it kind of grow and then getting to the finished product of here is here is my paper here it is uh, uh published is a really i find that to be a really rewarding sort yeah. of sort of process like it's like that journey of at least from like a thesis um, standpoint in, in a like in in my masters it was like hey this is this is kind of me this mm. is the last two years of my life this is mm. like yeah, I, yeah. I, I really liked that aspect of of research mm. yeah and most of it's also 
the case for me that very few of my papers have been written alone as a sole mm. author. Um, so it's learning from others too. Yeah. So I really like you know bringing different ideas and different people together to be able to learn from them. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I feel like there were two parts to your question there, Aaron, and we we went pretty deep on one of those parts. Because um, I think there was um, research and then practice also. I don't remember, but yeah. let's go with that. That sounds, <laughs> yeah. that sounds like a good question, Jesse. <laughs> so. Yeah, so because I think um, you know psychology being such a broad broad sort of field, you can go, I guess, into oh, the, yeah, the yeah, yeah. Uh, acad- academia. Yes, right. Um, or you can go, I guess, down the practice road, um, and then you, or you can you can do both. Um, and I guess we we just had a bit of a chat then about why people maybe go down the research p- yeah, pathway. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I guess it'd be interesting to about like um, so this is a question that you were thinking about as well. It mm. like leads into that. So it'd be interesting to know, like, well, what what is appealing about the therapy part in comparison to academia, but also like how those two might fit together and how might they be usefully fit together, or where do they kind of rub against each other or things like that. Mm. So I'm gonna go with like, yeah, what's I guess what's appealing about therapy for you that you went down that path, I suppose. Um, I really like uh, working, I guess, with with someone. Over the, over the course of a period of time, getting getting to know them and building a really good relationship with them, and then guiding guiding them through that process of change, mm. um, and in 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 some ways, it kind of mirrors what I like about research, okay. in that you're you're starting with something and you're you're taking it through. You're essentially going on that journey um, and bringing about this this um, I guess maybe a product at the end of the day. Calling calling clients products, Um, not not like that. Um, No, but like bringing about this um, this sense of you've you've built something and you've created you've helped you know shift shift someone from one one place to another. I guess that's really poorly articulated, Um, but that's that's what I'm imagining you at like the start of a session, like. We're gonna produce a really good product. Yeah, at the end of this. I hope you're ready. That's what I do. I, I, I make I make clients, and, and the first thing I say to them is like, "This is right now. This is this is you're, you're this product. Uh, let's <laughs> let's turn you into a uh, you know something a bit more Apple Apple iPhone 12 Pro Max. <laughs> let's, let's let's really polish that up. <laughs> oh, no. Um, yeah. Right. Mm. But yeah. So I think that's why I like I like working clinically. Um, yeah. So how does how does that work? How does that work together? Like, it, I guess, George, your experience. How does like? Because obviously, you did some practice, and then you went mostly into academia. How is your perception of how that works together, or do they like? Yeah. How does? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, part of our fourth year is trying to. We we recognise that most people kind of want to go when they think of psych, they think clinical. Mm. Um, so they want to work with clients um, and do you know for lack of better phrasing you know the lay on the couch and talk about your mum kind of a thing Mm. Um, (laughs) (laughs) this is great (laughs) (laughs) but but what what part our part of our fourth year is is we realize that students don't necessarily want to be researchers but they still should be good consumers of research Um, okay because what we hope and you know psych's got this long and kind of sordid history we're hoping that psych is an evidence-based practice so we you know you do run trials on cbt or some other therapy um 
and see if it works. And it, it works with some people and it doesn't work with others. So then you know when you can implement that type of therapy. So I think that's where they, the research and the practice come together is that, you know, you've got to know what works for whom and when. Mm. Um, and so being a good consumer of the literature and figuring that stuff out is important. And what what make like what do you try to instill in your students so that they are good consumers of literature? Like what 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 are the skills they need to have? Like what should they know? <laughs> the the things that they hate. <laughs> so you know, r- research methods and statistics. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you know, looking at is this a representative sample of the population? Is mm. um, are the stats strong? Have they you know have they used good measures of whatever construct they're interested in? So if they're interested in depression, are they using in the research project? Are they using the gold standard of depression mm. as a measure? Or are they using some junk that they've created themselves, you know? Mm. So all these kind of things can contribute to um, being able to sort of sort through the literature because there is some very, very good studies and there are some less good studies yeah. um, and, and figuring out what works. Um, yeah, okay. So, yeah. yeah. So, so it sounds like a, a quicking, a, <laughs> equipping them with the skills to be able to critically appraise that, yep. that research and to be able to look at a look at a study and, and be like, yep, this is um, quite sound from a methodological yeah. standpoint. Yeah. What, what's your, like, I guess your actual impression of how well, like, clinical psychologists actually, like, read and take on research and apply? Is that something that you really get to see much or no. understand much? You don't, yeah. No, I don't. Um, I think We're it's great. done. <laughs> <laughs> We're so good. <laughs> well, I, I do see the master's program, so where, um, you know, people go out and do placement mm. and, um, you know, practice, and it seems to be good. Um, I don't see a lot of, you know, psychs 10 years down the track and how they're still going at that point. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. And I think... Um, yeah, in, in those master's programs, that's where you're going to be seeing, I think, the the best mm. uh, example of of that, I reckon. Uh, you know, they, they talk about how often uh, your early career uh, psychologists, but even like mental health clinicians tend to, um, you know, be really, they're, they're really good at pra- like engaging in best practice yep. because it's it's so fresh in their minds and they're wanting to, so like, you know, the, the do the best that they I guess possibly can and they're really um, new to the the field um, compared to maybe people who've been practicing for quite a long time and, and um, you know, maybe have picked up some habits or f- um, not kept as up to date with their research and not... That's not... I'm, I don't mean to, I guess, um, have a dig at anybody who's been practicing uh, for a long period of time, but that... Um, Sounds like that's exactly what you're doing, yeah. Jesse. <laughs> well, it seems pretty harsh. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if you should say that. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> we had a good. We had a good 12, 12 episodes. Yeah, no, so. yeah. But but what? But would you say that that is like, like, have you directly experienced that that like psychologists will kind of fall off? paying that much attention mm. and directly applying new well, research. I think Dr. Doom's going to love my answer to this one. Yeah. Um, I, Aaron, don't have a large enough sample size ha. to be able to, uh, <laughs> to uh, form any uh, reasonable conclusions on that what, one. What, 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 how about some qualitative... Um, <laughs> Look, um, I, I've, been, I've been very fortunate, I think, to work with um, some, some quite fantastic 
uh, mm. psychologists and, and overall just um, mental mental health clinicians in my in my times. Yeah. There was there was one who I wasn't the biggest <laughs> fan of. Um, his name was Aaron Rajamani. <laughs> but, oh, um, I said I, I also said mental health clinicians, oh, okay, okay. but um, <laughs> yeah, no. So I, in, in my experience has been yeah. that um, I guess uh, they yeah they do try to do the best that that we can on uh, sticking to research and making sure that what we're doing oh, yeah. is is actually. Um, you know, proven to be useful. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Well, that's but cool. psychologists are people too. So yes, and that's it. Yeah. They're, they're flawed. Mm. Um, they make mistakes. So we, I've heard a number of questionable practices. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, they're hopefully the outliers. They're yeah. They're the people you don't see too often. Mm. Sounds like somebody's um, research thesis. <laughs> 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 You can have that listener. It's yours. Go do it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah cool. Um, what's next? Um, so I guess that it kind of, I guess, ties in nicely to, I guess, one of the, the key things I, I was thinking would be useful to discuss today. And that's, we know that research guides practice. Um, I think one of the tricky things that, that I find um, in practice can be how we apply that research into, I guess, a, a clinical setting. Um, and, you know, there's all those, there's, there's a very healthy amount of evidence that suggests that CBT is, is a very useful um, thera- therapeutic modality. And, and I've, I've found that to be, to be the case. However, I've also found applying that to be quite tricky. And, and I, I, I noticed that, you know, when, when you read research papers, they're very uh, specific, I guess, about the sort of people that they may be including in populations and um, for the, for their samples. And I find it a little bit tough sometimes to translate some of those uh, that research and that evidence to populations that maybe don't fit as nicely into yep. what the the samples that are being researched. Yep. Um, and so I guess I wanted to have a bit of a chat today, I guess, ab- about that, what, what your thoughts were on um, researching these, these topics and, and these things and then um, applying them clinically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, it, it, it can be tough um, that because, you know, research studies are often large, well-funded um, and usually have some sort of uh, you know, code book or guidelines around how do they want the exact, you know, step-by-step instructions mm. around it um, that sometimes they release and sometimes they don't. Um, and if they do, that's, you know, a useful thing um, because then the application to smaller groups or individual clinical settings um, can be a little more clean. Um, yeah, and... Sometimes we just don't know either. So, you know, if if I was to do a study and try a therapy on, you know, um, let's say 18 to 29-year-old Australian males, and then I get a 44-year-old American in my um, my room, can can I then apply that in that situation? And the mm. short answer is I just don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so, yeah, it can be, can be tricky. Um, mm. Yeah. I guess like yeah, getting like this kind of like concrete um, scientific process um, type information. It's it is an arduous process to nail down concrete facts, especially about things that are like as you know amorphous as 
mental health or psychology mm, and things yeah. like that. And so it's like, there's only so much concrete information that you can get about people over time. Like it, obviously the body of knowledge is expanding, but yep. it's still, there's still so much we don't know. And it, yeah. in, in science and particularly in research, we're interested in averages, basically, you know, mm. this therapy will work on average for, or for the, this group of people, um, you know, five points better than this therapy will. It'll reduce depression by five markers or whatever, whatever the scale is. Mm. Um, that often has absolutely nothing to do with the individual. Mm. Um, Right, yeah. And that's a problem. So what what, what yeah. kind of what kind of information like what what kind of work or thing does that kind of information guide then? Like is it guiding something a bit broader or is it like not really that applicable to the in room therapy kind of situation? Or like what is that information well, helpful for? Yeah, usually it's a guide. It's a good guide that this may work mm. um, and you should potentially try it. Um, but you know, no psychologists run you know, single factor experiments. I don't, I'm not looking at, you know, gender on depression sort of a thing because mm. everything in psychology is multivariate. Yeah. You've okay. got personality, you've got income, you've got, you know, job, whatever, relationship status, and all these things together can influence an outcome. So, um, yeah, we, we try and find sort of, Things that work, but they may not work for a bunch of other reasons that you should look into in your individual therapy sessions. Yeah, okay. Right. Yeah. I think you made a, um, a good point there. Um, also, George, around, um, you know, it's not, you're not looking, I guess, at the individual person sitting in front of you. And I think that's, um, you know, could, could be a, um, yeah, a, I guess a critique of, uh, re- research in in psychology, obviously, we, we it's it's something that we can't really a- account for too much. But um, it does feel a bit like we are treating more the the disorder rather than the individual when it, when we're looking at it from a research standpoint. So yeah. you're looking at does this uh, therapy work on this disorder um, for this age group? Yep. Um, and so I guess there is that. Um, the need for practitioners to be able to, I guess, yeah, look at that research that says, yes, this works, let's give it a crack, but then also trying to marry that with the person that's sitting in front of them. And I think that's, um, yeah, that's yeah. that's the, I guess, the scientist practitioner sort of way of, mm. of moving forward with the research. Yeah, yeah, mm. absolutely. I, I would definitely agree that you know we we try and look at what works for this disorder mm. for the general population yeah. for example but you yeah when you've got say you know an 18 year old girl in your office um and you're you know you've got to figure out well you know number one she's not average because she's not mm. the average age mm. but then you've got to take every one of the things that have led yeah. up to her being in your office into account as well so mm. You know, what's happened? Is she in a relationship? Um, you know, has something happened in her past that you need yeah. to consider that we, in in the research project, we just can't consider all yeah. those things? Mm. Hmm. I, I find that, that that to be one of, the, I guess, the, the tricky things about um, uh, practice sometimes is you've you've got this person in front of you um, who is maybe not within that, that 
average sort of population and then it's like you have to consider all these things that have happened to this person in their life and you have to go quite quite deep into some of uh you know to, to their past their their relationships with uh, family members parents and, and all to get to get really rich information to help guide that practice but that can sometimes take mm. quite a few sessions just to, to get that information and then you i guess there i've i've felt a, a bit of pressure sometimes to try and um you know maybe get get things moving a little bit quicker um, because uh, you know re- I guess some of the some of the research particularly around CBT's 10 sessions and stuff like that it can mm. you know it, it, it yeah it influences a bit the way I maybe think about some yep. some of yeah. my my practices and stuff like that it's yeah the individual in like the con in, in context is an interesting kind of dilemma mm. I guess you could put it I don't know if it's dilemma is the right word but yeah because I remember um, when I was doing my um, undergrad, a lot of people that were doing social work were also doing a double degree in psychology. And so like, a lo- I found like a lot of the, my friends who were doing the double degree were really struggling with the tension of doing both. Cause in mm. social work, you're talking a lot about the person in their context and the sociological impacts around this person. And then in psychology, um, psychology, their perception is that you just laser focus on the individual and like the, I guess, like the the way they're thinking and the symptomatology mm. and like very individual focused and they found that strain really jarring because like they're almost like speaking different languages oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, there's there's a joke at universities that um you know people who do do well in psychology don't do well in sociology sort of yeah, right. so, and vice versa mm. um yeah um, but then, then there's obviously social psychology as well, which is interested in <laughs> groups and small groups. So. Okay, right. Well, we, we don't we don't talk about them. <laughs> 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 no, to all you social psychologists out there, we love you. <laughs> but pick a side. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> how are um, how are you going with the beer, Aaron? I'm going really well. I'm yeah. more than halfway through. I'm really enjoying it. Yes, I was I was thinking that also. I, I was, I've um. Yeah, I've, I've I've nearly got to the bottom of this one, and I'm I'm wondering if I'm drinking a little bit too fast. But um, <laughs> oh, really? yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying sure. it so far. What about what about you, George? Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, not it's not bad. It's all yeah. the beer. Go Dandenong. Represent. Yeah. <laughs> Unexpected. <laughs> well, I mean, no, I mean, I, I just don't think of Dandenong as a beer brewing region, you know? But I mean, I guess there's no reason why you can't yeah. brew beer in Dandenong. Yeah, nice save. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from the area, okay? <laughs> I mean, not exactly. I spent a, I've spent a lot of time in Dandenong. Whatever. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. Um, so, George, another thing I guess I wanted to have a bit of a chat with you about and i'm sure aaron did too um, is um <laughs> you know we'll see <laughs> what what some so for some of our listeners out there who are maybe practicing clinically but also thinking hmm maybe academia is is something i'd like to get into um maybe down the line or they're currently studying to um to get into academia what are some of the benefits of that, that you've noticed um of maybe having that clinical practice while also having that, like working in academia, so being able to marry the two together. Yeah, well, um, those people um, are in high demand uh, in academia um, because it's it's very, very hard to get people with clinical experience who are endorsed as supervisors uh, into academia because you can... um, 
you know, for, you know, to put it crudely, you can earn vastly more money in private practice than you can in academia. Okay. Um, so it's hard to attract them, but they're desirable yeah. um, for master's programs and that sort of stuff because um, yeah, we need clinically endorsed supervisors for master's students. Right, okay. Okay. Yeah. So is, is that to say then that there's not, like at, at master's level, there are... Are there are there many people teaching at that level who who aren't clinically uh, um, experienced? Some, um, and it depends on the courses or yeah. the subjects. Um, so for you know you would do um, research methods and stats and that yeah. sort of stuff at, at clinical. Mm. Uh, sorry, at master's level, yeah. but you you wouldn't need to be a clinician to teach True. that. Mm. But um, yeah, there's big part of master's programs is placement components mm. and, and those sorts of things um yeah. so in those facets of the program um those people are needed yeah okay yeah okay yeah it's interesting yeah it's like um yeah because it's very different in um social work where mm. pretty much everyone who works as an academic in social work that i've ever met has had years and years of experience like on the ground doing social work like either therapy or like doing like like um community advocacy or things like that and then later on got into academia Mm. like i don't know that many i don't know if i've i know a single social worker who's who's ever been purely an academic give us the sample size Aaron. (laughs) out of Out of the out of RMIT University and, <laughs> and the other random social <laughs> academics that I've met in my life, so that's yeah. a sample size. But yeah, but you know, yeah, look, mm. it's um, I yeah. don't know. See, see, in my perception, pretty uncommon. So it's quite different. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure why that is. It's uh. quite interesting because um, I think for um, areas like nursing as well, that's quite true. That mm. you know, they they go out and do nursing or social work for a while mm. and then come back. Um, psychology is a little bit different like we we do get people who go out become clinicians do the Mm. this isn't for me um and come back to academia but Mm. i would suggest that um although a good proportion of them would be um you know registered psychologists Mm. um i wouldn't suggest that all of them all of them practice you know i've a vast majority of the time or even have gone out to practice and then come back um, mm. the pathway to in psychology seems to be you know in terms of academia undergrad um honors potentially masters or phd and then you just hang around a university until somebody gives you a job <laughs> <sort of thing. laughs> yeah so. you know, like i guess maybe that's like 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 part of the difference it's like um with social work it's much like I think most people get into social work not with the perception of I want to be an academic or I want to you know work on the scientific method or whatever. Whereas I'm sure that's quite different with psychology being so science focused mm-hmm. as opposed to social work, which really isn't unless you happen to be the kind of social worker who's interested in academia. I suppose Cause I know a lot of people that I studied with were like I just want the practical skills to be able to do social work and like the academia stuff is helpful, but not like the primary focus of why I why study the degree yeah, yeah. I, I would say that's true for most psych students as okay. well yeah. interesting um, right i i would yeah i i reckon just from from my observations I, i'd probably agree with that um it's it's almost like everyone goes into psychology thinking 
oh, well, maybe not everyone, but a lot of people would, would go and think, yes, I want, I want to practice clinically. I love this. And then maybe they get into that, that fourth year and they get that exposure to the research and they're like, oh, mm. I actually love this even more than, than what I originally thought I wanted to get into psychology for. And then mm. you, you see them right. going off and pursuing that path maybe. Um, cool. Mm. Yeah. So what, uh, what would you give to, like what's some practical advice you would give to um, students thinking about getting into academia maybe following in your footsteps or something similar. <laughs> like, but what, what, what advice would you give them? What mistakes should they avoid? It's <laughs> like always such a dangerous question because it always opens up the answer of just don't do it. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, right now, um, with tertiary education, it's, it's a tough field to break into. Um, and if you do have clinical experience, um, you put yourself in quite a nice position uh, to make it desirable in the market. Um, yeah, I, mistakes. Um, pick a topic, I guess, and become an expert in that topic. Don't do what I did and, and still do and go, oh, that's interesting, I'll do a bit of that. Oh, that's interesting, I'll do a bit of that. Yeah. Um, stick to something and become <laughs> a world expert in that thing. Right. Um, why? Yeah. Why is that important, though? Uh, because you part of the promotion process in academia is to have international, national, and international recognition okay. in something. Yeah. And if you're constantly changing topics, it's hard to um, you know get everybody to recognise that you're good at or an expert in this field. Yeah. Okay. Mm. yeah. Um, yeah but. Publications are always good in academia. Um, I so as a bit of my history as well. Um, my PhD thesis was examined by Time Magazine's 2005 Scientist of the Year. Right, um, there's a guy named John Kennedy from Canada, mm. and he discovered the reason he was Time Magazine's um, Scientist of the Year that year was because he discovered that blind people, when they draw, so he uses this special paper and it kind of bumps up um, so blind people can feel um, the pictures mm. they're drawing. Yeah. Um, he discovered that blind people draw in 3D perspective. Um, so he, oh. they, they would draw half a person behind, you know, a set of waves or a car or something like that. So mm. they recognised that the car was in front of... Um, the person mm. or right. the waves were in front of the person mm. and nobody had discovered that before. Mm. Um, and there was no real reason to think that blind people would do that because they don't see the world. So um, there was, you know, no reason yeah. that they would draw that. But it kind of makes sense because, you know, you they send out, like oh, I've got a friend who's completely blind and he'll send out a click with his voice and it will, like a doorway, for example, it'll pass, yeah. the click will pass through, but it'll bounce back off the wall. So he knows where the doorway right. is. Right. So yeah. he knows yeah. depth. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, so he's, he said to me, this guy, part of his advice, because what often happens when you get um, your thesis examined by someone is you say, thanks very much for doing that, you know, and you might end up working with them because they're in your field. And mm. I ended up working kind of with him. Um, but we got kind of friendly um, and he his piece of advice to me was just publish and they'll leave you alone. Um, so... Um, <laughs> So and and the advice was, you know, just make sure you keep publishing papers, and then nobody will kind of knock on your door saying, "How are you spending your time?" Mm. Um, 
so yeah, that that's an important part of it is to publish okay. and publish as often as you can mm. um, in good quality journals, um, which helps then get grant money, which universities like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, do also kind of um, quantify what you do. So if you're teaching, make sure you you know you're getting student evaluations and they're saying you're a good teacher. Okay. Yeah, right. Can you do? I guess this is, I guess, a question for that I, I, I really want to know the answer to. Can you do more teaching intensive work within the uni? So can you, because you, you've s- said there that I guess if you pump out a lot of research, they'll just leave you alone. Um, and I guess you've kind of alluded to evaluations of your teaching to maybe also mm-hmm. result in them leaving you alone. But yeah. can you have like, I guess, <laughs> positions, <laughs> positions within unis where it is much more you're employed more so for what you bring to the table regarding teaching than what you bring regarding your ability to publish papers or yep. do research? Uh, the short answer is yes. The longer answer is it depends on the university. Um, but most universities do have what they call teaching only positions. Okay. So, um, you, but you'll teach a lot of classes because you're not expected to do research. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Nice. Well, I like, fun, I like fun, that. Yeah. Fun career path, yeah, Jesse. Yeah, for, for those of you who, who, who haven't uh, yet clued on, I think I would rather do teaching over <laughs> research. I mean, I don't mind research, yeah. uh, but I, I think uh, I would much rather get into academia for the for the teaching side oh, of things. Yeah. Two um, two very different psychologists. Mm, <laughs> yeah. well, I'm, not a, I'm not a psychologist. So. Oh yes. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a protected so, term. Instead oh, of, oh, right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. No, I'm not registered. So. Regist- okay. Fair. Instead Makes of sense. two very different psychologists, you've just got one really, really weird one. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good, good, good. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Cool. How about we get to um, the most important part of the podcast? Jesse? What's that, Aaron? Jesse, how could you? It's the it's the part that we shared. Ah, uh, no, the, I already knew that. I was testing to see if <gasps> oh, you knew. Joe, it's the beer God, review. You got me. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes, I'm going to finish this can <laughs> and then get back to you with that, Aaron. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, we know. Who have we become? <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, I like this. Um, this is a nice, nice pale ale. Mm. One that I would definitely drink again. Yep. Um, and I think Aaron, you will have liked this one today because I didn't really get too much of a fruity. No, it was just fruity flavor out of that one. Solid, solid, good pale ale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pretty happy with it. Yeah, it's not too too bitter or anything like that. I'm not a big fan of like really bitter um, ales. So it's good. Yeah, I would definitely Mm. drink more than one of this. Yes, one hundred percent. Um, what did I give it? Like a, a three three 3.5? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm at about that. I reckon I reckon three three point five to three point seven five. Well let's go with a let's go <laughs> oh with no. a let's go with a three point six two five. Where's the evidence base yeah. for that? <laughs> um but uh George, what did what did you think of the Brick Lane One Love Pale Ale? Yeah, I thought it was good. Um, it's it's kind of a summer beer for me, so it's um, and I don't mean this to sound the wrong way. Um, it's kind of watery, as in it's mm. not you know overly harsh or as mm. you said mm. bitter or anything like that. So yeah. yeah, it's a nice sort of warm afternoon yeah. kind of beer. Yeah, it's one of those ones where um, actually cut that out. I was just about to say you could 
drink all afternoon. Um, <laughs> we, we, <you're> good. <laughs> we don't we don't need need that. No, but yeah, no, I agree. It, it's one of um, you. Be quiet. It's it's one of those beers, I guess, where um, you know you you could you get yeah, you could drink it on a nice warm afternoon and it, and it'd go down nicely. Uh, you'd have to be pretty mindful though, George, wouldn't you, of not to drink. Too many beers. And why, why is that, George? <laughs> why, is that? why are you putting it on here? <laughs> we, we would not drink too many beers because we drink responsibly here at Beers yes, Vision. Yeah. Yes, that's why. George knew that. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Put words in his mouth. <laughs> once. <laughs> I should have just cut you off and doing it. Just be like, no, Aaron, let George answer it. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, no. Well, well, you didn't give us a, a, a out of five rating. All right, out of five, beer three and a half. Oh yeah, sweet, yeah. cool. In agreement. Excellent. Very good beer, I think. Uh, for those of you listening, uh, go pick yourself up a Brick Lane Pale Ale from Dan Murphy's, and um, probably sign up to be a member. Uh, <laughs> good. Yes, that's yeah. we don't promote alcoholism at all in beer supervision. <laughs> no, 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 it's it's about it's about getting discounts. It's about um, discounts. While drinking responsibly. Oh, okay, good, good. Yes. I'm glad we came to that conclusion. Yes. Should should they wait until their twelfth visit? Um, no, don't be a, don't be a goose like me. Uh, <laughs> and if it is your first uh, trip to Dan Murphy's, uh, and you do intend on having more trips, yeah. get a members card. Um, I feel like yeah. Dan Dan Murphy's is getting a lot of um, just <laughs> free advertising. I mean, out of us. I mean, like you seem yeah. to be very passionate. I don't know why. Why is this going on? This is like a ten minute segment about you just yeah. talking about Dan Should Murphy's. Send That's the good. podcast into them and just be like, <laughs> <laughs> cheers. <laughs> anyway, well, on that exciting note. <laughs> yes. No, George. Thank you so much for coming in today and having a bit of a chat with us about uh, academia. I think uh, it's a really useful topic for all of our listeners to to really get around. Um, I think the focus um, of this podcast has been a lot more clinically um, or clinical in in previous episodes, but I think this one really touches on the importance of academia and how that does uh, guide what we do as clinicians, I guess, on the the front line. Yeah, cool. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks Uh, for having me. Yeah, appreciate it. Cool. All right. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening uh, once again. um, Yeah, and we will be back again uh, in two weeks. I've got a very exciting guest lined up for next week already, which is very good. We're very organized and having guests ahead of time. Yes. Wow. (laughs) Well, Well, our guests didn't realize we weren't organized until you just told them. So thanks, Aaron. Oh, no. All right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. See everyone. (laughs) Thanks for listening to Be a Supervision the podcast where we talk about the joys of working in mental health over a cold brew. We record every two weeks, often with guests from the mental health field. If you could leave us a rating on iTunes, that would really help us out. Or share it with someone who might find it helpful. If you'd like to contact us with feedback or questions, or even just to say hi, definitely do at beersupervisionpodcast at gmail.com. And you can find Beer Supervision on Facebook and Twitter. Our opinions are our own, the beers we drink are chosen just by us, and we don't receive any sponsorships. We'll see you next time.